The following Mishnah addresses a case of Yibum where there are three brothers and none of them are married to sisters. There are three brothers married to three unrelated women. One of the brothers died. The second brother made Ma'amar with a widow, thus making a partial marriage with her. And then he died, leaving two widows, one to whom he had been fully married, and the second to whom he had been partially married through Ma'amar. The laws that these, both these widows perform Khalisab with the living brother but not, may not be taken in Yibum with him. Shinam, as the Pasuk says, and one of them dies, his Yavam, her Yavam shall come to her. Which teaches that the Yibum is performed only with a widow who has on her a yibum bond from one yavam. And not with a widow who has on her a yibum bond from two yavams. Since the Ma'amar wife was never fully married to the second brother, she still has a yibum bond from the first brother. But since she was partially married to the second brother, she has a yibum bond from him as well. As a result, she is a yavama who is bound to the third brother with a yibum bond from two others. She's therefore not eligible for yibum and needs Khalitsa instead. However, her Khalitsa cannot exempt her co-wife because she's only partially her co-wife. Therefore, her co-wife needs Khalitsa as well. At the same time, the co-wife's Khalisa cannot exempt the Ma'amar wife because the Ma'amar wife still has a Yibun bond from the first husband. Therefore, they both need Khalisa. Okay? So... Another another view. Rabbi Shimon Omerishon says, said the living brother can do yibum with whichever widow he performs, and then perform chalitza with the other one. According to Rabbi Shimon, Ma'amar surely does not make a partial marriage. However, he is unsure whether it creates a full marriage or none at all. If it creates a full marriage, then the second brother was fully married to both widows, and the third brother can perform yibum with one and thereby free the other. If it does not make any marriage at all, then each brother was married to one widow. So the third brother can perform yibum with each widow, with with both widows. Either way, he then he can he then may perform yibum with one of the widows. The other one needs chalitza. Okay, the second is the second chalitza. The chalitza with the second one is to free her in case the ma'amah is not a marriage, so that she needs her own chalitza or yibum. Having completed this discussion of cases involving three brothers, the Mishnah moves on to a case with two brothers, sisters. Two brothers married to sisters. One of the brothers died. And afterwards, the wife of the second brother died. So at this point, the widow of the first brother is no longer forbidden to the second brother as his wife's sister, since a man. As his wife's sister, since a man is allowed to marry his wife's sister after his wife dies. Okay? This widow of the first brother is forbidden to the second brother forever, despite the fact that she is no longer an Erevat to him on account of being his wife's sister. However, because she became forbidden to him for Yibum at one time, that is, because she became eligible for Yibum at the moment her husband died. When her husband died, her, the sister was still alive. Therefore, she was an Erevat at that time to the second brother. Since at that point, the second brother could not marry her, she's the same as a woman whose husband died with children who is an Erevat to the living brothers forever. Mishnah Tet. The Mishnah discusses another law unrelated to Yibum that potentially involves two brothers married to two sisters. Shnaim shikudshushte nashim. Let's say you've got two men, okay, that were Makadesh, that betrothed. Two women who were not related to each other. That is, each man betrothed one of them. Another time they entered the Chupa to complete the marriage, they accidentally switched this one's wife for that one's wife. And that one's wife for this one's wife. And each one, um, the Ma'asebiya, cohabited with the wrong woman. Okay, so they, let's say they did two Chupa at the same time, and, and each bride was led to the wrong Chupa. Okay, so they did the Chupa, and then they, then they did... Um, 
Yichud would be a so hare elu chayavim mishum eshet esh. The law is that these people are liable to chatzat offering for having cohabited with a married woman. Since they each cohabited with the other one's wife, they have each mistakenly committed adultery, as as have the women. All four of them must therefore atone for their unintentional sin by making a chatzat offering in the Beit Hamikdash. Hayu achim if the men were brothers mishum eshet ach they are all chayav for another chatzat for cohabiting with the brother's wife. Vim hayu achayot and if the women were sisters mishum isha shelachotah they are all liable for the third chatzat. For cohabiting with a wife and her sister, that is while being married to her sister. Okay, the kiddushin he made with his wife, prohibiting to her sister. Ve'im if the women were nida, okay, mishum nida, they need to bring a fourth chatat for cohabiting with a nida. Okay, uh, there's a general rule that ain't isochal aliso. A prohibition does not take effect on another prohibition. This means that as far as atonement offerings and punishments are concerned, once something is forbidden due to one prohibition, it does not become more prohibited due to a second prohibition. The Telephone Mishnah teaches that there are certain exceptions to this rule. One is when two prohibitions take effect on a person at the same time. For example, when the first brother married the first sister, she simultaneously became forbidden to the second brother on two counts, as someone else's wife, as his and as his brother's wife. Okay, a second exception is known as isur kolel, a more inclusive prohibition. So that's where the second prohibition prohibits more things than the first one did. For example, when a man marries a woman, she becomes forbidden to his brother. When the second brother then marries her sister, he becomes forbidden to all his wife's sisters, not just the one married to his brother. Since the wife's sister prohibition takes hold on all the sisters that are not married, it also takes effect on the sister who is married, who even though she is already forbidden. A third exception is known as Isulmrosif, a more extensive prohibition, i.e. a new prohibition comes along and makes a prohibited thing more forbidden to more people or forbidden in more ways. For example, when the first brother married his wife, she became forbidden to all other men as a married woman. When she then became a nida, she became forbidden even to her husband. Since the nida prohibition takes hold in regards to the husband, it takes hold in regards to every other man as well, even though she was already forbidden to them. Okay? It's an interesting side point. Okay, now, further laws. Before the women return to the true husbands, okay, um, so all their, each woman cohabiting with someone who's not her husband, she's allowed to return to her husband because she committed adultery unintentionally thinking it was her husband. The wife of a coin is an exception to this rule. She's forbidden even if it was accidental. So before they return to the true husbands, they separate them for three months. Shema mu'ubarat hen. In case they are pregnant from the men with whom they mistakenly cohabited, if they are, the child is the mamzer who may not marry Jews of proper lineage. A child born from adultery is a mamzer even if the adultery is unintentional. If they were allowed to return to the true husbands immediately after leaving their men, they mistakenly married, we would have no way of knowing whether the child born nine months later was the child of the first man or the second. Once three months have passed, we can tell whether the women are pregnant. And if the women were young girls who are not yet capable of having children, we then return them to the true husbands immediately. Before the husband, daughter of a daughter before the daughter of a coin gets married, she's allowed to eat to Ruma. If she marries someone who's not a coin, she's not allowed to eat Ruma. If, however, her husband dies and she has no children with him, the general law is that she returns to her previous status and is again allowed to eat Ruma, unless she somehow became disqualified from the Kahuna. The Mishnah now teaches that adultery, even when done unintentionally, disqualifies a woman from the Kahuna. Vim hayu kohanot, and if the women were daughters of Kohanim, nifsulum min ha Ruma, they become disqualified from eating Ruma, even if their husbands die without having a child. Since they cooperate with someone who is an Aravat to them, even though it was accidental, they become disqualified from eating Ruma a great day.